The evolution of technology in the last two decades has altered many aspects of the music industry. For the consumer, technology has changed the way we buy, obtain, and listen to music. It has changed how we experience live music and buy tickets. It has changed how we share music we like and find it in the first place. But what about the artists on the other side of the supply chain? How has technology changed their experience? It wasn't too long ago when most artist success stories started when they were noticed by scouts out at live shows and were given the chance to showcase themselves in front of labels for a chance to get signed. While this can still be the path for some artists today, the opportunities to be discovered have been broadened through reality talent shows and even more through social media platforms. Not to mention how much easier it is these days to release music without a label. Social media has provided opportunities that were once only available through signing a record deal. In recent years, independent artists have released up to eight times more than 1.1 million tracks released by the major traditional labels. Join us as we get to know an independent artist that has established his career in the age of social media. We will learn about distributing music digitally, the changes he has seen along the way, his ability to establish and maintain a fan base via social media, and much more. So back in December of 1989, five years before I graced the earth, <laughs> three of the greatest entertainers were born. I have two of them with me today. My co-host, Lizant, and my brother, Josh Merritt. How are y'all doing? Hello. <laughs> and it goes out saying the third was Taylor Swift. Oh, we already know. Remember? Yeah, we, how we do know this. Well, yeah, can we jump into that? Is that a, sure. So I talked about on the way down here. That this has been a crazy thing the last two weeks. It's and it's it's some like some kind of a Mandela effect for me because my entire life I remember reading in magazines that Taylor Swift's birthday was December fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine, which is my my birthday, and I know that because I seen it somewhere and said, "Hey, that's my birthday. We <laughs> share the same birthday," which is not something you would forget or mix up. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like once you've seen that, you would see it, and. I mean, I'm talking 10 years ago. I've seen this and I've told people this, I've said this. We're the exact same age. We were born on the same day. And so my one of my daughters is a huge uh, Swifty uh, now. <laughs> a huge fan. And I've been telling her, yeah, me and, me and uh, Taylor share the same birthday. And she's been telling me, she's like, no, her birthday's on the 13th. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, no, no. I'm, I would bet my entire life's fortune, which isn't very much, only if you don't. <laughs> Uh, that it's on the 15th. Like, I know that it is beyond any reason of a doubt. And uh, she's like, no, it's the 13th. Well, anyway, the week of our birthdays come around and, like, good morning, America, all those things. It's Taylor Swift's birthday today mm-hmm. on the 13th. And I thought, this is insane. Like, th- there's no way that I've mixed this up. Uh, Josh was being a total artist coming down here. He was reading his notes that I sent him two weeks ago. Uh, and he was like... He read that where I said, you know, both y'all's birthdays. He's like, we got to talk about something. And before he even got it out, I was like, Taylor Swift's birthday has always been on the 15th. Like, I thought that too. And Listen, then, I believe it. But I think what it is, is she's always said her her lucky number is 13. 13. It would be on brand for her to change her birthday to the 13th. <laughs> yeah. Like, she has all the power in the world. 
to well, technically do why that. Has her, why has her number been 13 all these years, though? Well, that's true. I don't know. But I swear my whole life. Like, oh, I, I have always said that they were born on the same day. And we, Yeah, and we've never talked. We hadn't talked about yeah. that till you said it. Yeah. I thought, I've been, this is something I've been thinking about like, <laughs> no, for the last No, I believe month. you. I believe you. I feel like I've read that it was the 15th, too, like a few years ago. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, December 13th. Okay, that makes sense, because her number's 13, I guess. Yeah. But maybe she did change it. You do share a birthday with the number one person in my life, my niece, Journey. <gasps> yes, yes, I do. So, I December that 4th. Was, that was something, man. She told me that. So we're born mm-hmm. the same year, and then you're born the same day as my, yeah. as my daughter. Right. That's yeah. pretty wild. Same year, same month. Well, so uh, we established that you're my brother. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> anywhere I go, it's a Can't common no- joke. Can't do nothing about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say my name is Whitney Merritt, and they're like, oh, you're Josh's sister. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I love it. It's they awesome. say the same thing to me. Yeah. Like people are like, Whitney's brother. Who? No. Um, <laughs> so you've had some success. You've had a long, like, this is not a new thing for you. You've been on the road to with music for a long time but you've had some success with a uh i've said a youtube video a music video that came out a couple weeks ago can mm-hmm. you tell us about that yeah it's been great I, I i don't know what to think about i've been so busy lately putting the record out and and it seems like we were prepping for it for a year that hmm. i don't know i haven't really had time to sit down and i know that sounds like a really cliched thing me, to say let me but speak on this because uh i log it's way past this now but i logged into youtube to look up your video and it was at over 100k and i was like okay wow. does josh know this because i haven't heard anything and i texted <laughs> I, I, I texted and uh you were like oh really and it was like you're so busy you hadn't even noticed I wow that's I, nuts. I really had it's weird I, to see things from this perspective yeah <laughs> It's weird to, to to be in in the seat of it because like I I say it's a cliche thing to say because I've heard other people say it before mm-hmm. that like like oh how's the success been lately and they say I, I I haven't really got to sit down and think about it yet yeah. mm-hmm. and like I, that's a real thing like I guess if you're in it and it's it's kind of like being on a treadmill and running a little bit like you can't stop until it stops you mm-hmm. know so I, have, I that's the honest truth I haven't had this time to sit down and really think about it but I. Uh, I'm proud of it. Yeah, you know? it's a great video. If y'all want to uh, look it up, it's "Give It to Me" by Josh Merritt, and uh, you have some actors from our hometown that joined in on it. It's really neat. That is neat. It's kind. Of, did you? It's got a, a theme to it. Did you catch it? I want to talk about this. Actually, the theme I picked up on the Shining notes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had watched one of your videos where you said you've actually been to that hotel. Yeah. Please dive in because I love The Shining. It was a, uh, it was, yeah. That that's kind of the reason I went for that. Is we I, I visited the Stanley Hotel uh, with my fiance about six months ago, and um, yeah, we got back. We were doing the video, and it kind of just I was all my stuff, songs, everything come to me as I'm driving down the road. Mm-hmm. I was just driving down the road one day, and I thought The Shining, but we. <laughs> gender switch everything the guy's the girl yeah, the girl's yeah, yeah. the guy and we you know and we don't copy it verbatim no, we right. do our own thing with it but like yeah there's no act through the door but you can right definitely exactly pick up, exactly like, but it's notes. in a hotel right it's the whole ambient between the two people is obviously like there's something going on she's like obsessed with the room number the whole thing you know mm-hmm. same as same as the story goes um but yeah, visiting the the Stanley Hotel 
was incredible. Um, my fiance and me planned a trip to go to Red Rocks for the first time in Denver um, to see Jason Isbell. I'm a huge Jason Isbell fan, like yes. huge, huge Jason Isbell fan. Um, and uh, my fiance, we've been together for about a year and a half and she not just because i am but she has genuinely became a jason isabel fan too mm-hmm. which is, just blesses my heart you know because <laughs> she's it's, the it's, girl for you well, well, because yeah well, it's, 100%. it's one thing i mean uh, to be in a relationship and it's like you know this person my, my person's really passionate about this so i want to be a part of it mm-hmm. but like she's genuinely like i think i could get out of the way and she would still be <laughs> this big of a Jason Isabel yeah, fan awesome. at this point. So anyway, I told her we were laying in bed one night and I said, uh, we were talking about like our bucket list places that we'd like to go. And one of mine was Red Rocks. I've mm-hmm. never seen a show at Red Rocks. And the next day, um, Jason Isabel's team posted tickets for Red Rocks. Like the next morning it was wow, on. I was, like, oh. I, was that's like, that's a, I was like, yeah, that we have to go. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, short story long, long story short, uh, <laughs> She uh, bought tickets. She planned this trip down to down to the wire flights, everything, and uh, we got to the day. Long story short, we got to the day uh, that we were supposed to leave. We went to um, the airport in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where we were supposed to have a direct flight from Louisville to Denver. Everything's going so perfect, and we get to the airport, and as we get to the terminal, the lady's like, oh, the flight just took off. <gasps> Stop. And they had changed the flight, and we didn't know. What? Yeah. And, like, it was... I would was, cry. <laughs> oh, it was, it was so bad. And, and, and so we're like, no, wait, what's, what's going on? So she's like, I can get you guys to Denver. She's like, but, uh, it's not going to be, we, we had planned to be there that morning, mm-hmm. check into our place, you know, the whole, they have plenty of time. Make a day out of yeah. It, make a whole day out of it. And, um, and then the show was that night. So we get on this other flight that's leaving 15 minutes after our original flight. And it, she's like, I'll have you there by noon. She's like, but there's a layover with this and it's, mm-hmm. it's not a direct flight. And we said, okay, we'll do it. So we jump on there and end up in Washington, DC. As our plane is landing, as our plane is landing in Washington D.C., and we take airplane mode off, we get a text that says, "Your flight has been delayed." I stop. This sounds like our last podcast episode where everything was going wrong it for was me. So bad. We end up so once we landed on that one, they pretty much told us they said, well, there, "There's no way we're getting you to Denver until tomorrow. Like you're not even going to be able to leave Washington D.C. Oh, tonight." Oh my gosh! And so we scrambled around, scrambled around, and. And um, somehow, uh, Amanda, my fiance, she she found a connecting flight. She was like, "No, no, no!" She's like, "We can take this flight to Kansas City, and uh, we can land there. And we can end up." Long story short, we ended up in like five different airports. Oh my god! Planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we didn't. And each one gave us, like, we'd find one and be like, oh, we're going to make it. No, we're not going to make it. Oh, we're going to make it. Oh, we're not going to make it. So we end up in Denver. We landed, like, as the show is over, I think, or something (laughs) like that's when we got there. Um, So we're heartbroken. Thankfully... We planned the show was the fir- was supposed to be on the first day, and we were going to spend the weekend in Denver because I'd never been to Colorado in all my travels. I'd never been to the Rockies, mm-hmm. and uh, so we were going to spend the weekend, 
and uh, but we didn't have any plans. We were the show was the plan, and then we were just going to go see the area and see the sights after that. So. Um, so we're looking around we've obviously missed the big show and one of the things i see is that the stanley hotel is uh, about an hour and a half from where we're staying uh north of us i think and uh it's a it's a drive but it's all i mean hill country Mm -hmm. drive to there it's out in the middle of nowhere and here's the thing i had never seen the shining up to that point oh what? No, I'd never what? seen it. So here's the deal. Like, well, why would you be excited to go to the Stanley Hotel, right? Right. That's where they shot all the scenes for Dumb and Dumber, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time. That's Jeff's favorite movie of all time. Of all time. Yeah. So born and raised with it. Oh, oh my god. god. So all the scenes like when they're when they pull up in the in the Lamborghini and here you go. Yeah, here, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, standing yeah. on the steps Shut of up. The I'm gonna have to watch hotel. that tonight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all the room scenes, all of that was shot at Same the Same carpet? Uh, no, it wasn't there. You could Wouldn't tell that they, be interesting, You could though? tell that they dressed everything up, yeah. you know, in the movie. Things were different, but... So, you know the scene in... Um, oh, gosh, the big staircase. I can see it now. So, so, my, so we get in there, and I'm looking at it, and I'm mesmerized. And everybody's there. <laughs> Listen, everyone there is like, oh, this is the Jack Nicholson where mm-hmm. you blah, blah, blah. Everyone's there for The Shining, and I'm like, this is where Jim Carrey stood. Like, <laughs> you know, so, so we get to the staircase, and I told my fiancé, who doesn't like to be on camera at all she has none of my uh, goofy to the world uh, traits and I said listen we have to create the running up the staircase (laughs) thing and god love her she knew how bad I wanted to do it she did it and so we recreated the like race you to the top and I'm like pulling her leg that is so funny (laughs) yeah yeah Um, we need that video yeah for sure (laughs) yeah 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 I'll send it Um, so anyway that we went and we just planned to go and look at it I didn't even realize it was a tourist attraction didn't even know it was we spent the entire day ended up at the stand had the greatest time we took the shining tour which is there which is so weird we met this lady um in the basement, we'd plan. We uh, that sounds about right. In the for basement the of this place, there was this little bitty chocolate shop down there, and we what? we told her our story about missing the Red Rocks and all this stuff, and uh, she was like, "You guys are just the sweetest couple." And she's like, "Have you ever?" did the shining tour and the shining tour to do the whole thing they take you in the room and tell you all about it It was like 300 bucks a person or something like that i was like no we don't we're just here to visit you know we're not trying to spend and she's like i tell you what she's like i run the tour she's like you guys are really sweet she's like i'm gonna let you guys go (gasps) sounds like us at the opry i know know. yeah Breaking the rules, breaking the rules. Yeah. And so, long story short, sorry, uh, God short, bless story, her. short story long. Uh, had we had the best day. It was one of my favorite parts of the trip. We had a lot of really cool stuff we did while we were there. But I became mesmerized with the hotel, and we did the Shining tour, and we literally went back to the hotel that night and we watched the Shining for the first time. So What'd I got to see. Oh, I loved it. It's yeah. one of the. It's a. It's yeah. It's one Jack of the greatest Nicholson. films in in history for I sure. Think so. I think so. Just Do the way it's laid out. What's weird about this is so we had Bailey Dombrowski mm-hmm. on. Did I say her last name right? Dombrowski. Yeah. Dombrowski. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Bailey. Um, we had her on the pod. I don't know if this is going to be before or after her episode, but she, uh, Lainey Wilson played Red Rocks around the same time that all that was going on. Yeah. And so I told her that you would try to get out there and all that craziness happened. Yeah. But anywho, that's so cool, though. Man. I like the 
I forgot you told her about that, and that story started so well, and then I felt so bad, <laughs> oh. and then it ended so well. Yeah. That was quite the roller coaster. It was, we actually had one of the greatest times, and I don't know, like the last day we were there, we ended up going to Red Rocks and just like early during the day mm-hmm. and just went up there and checked it out and I mean Good. didn't get to see the show or anything and you've seen and, uh, Jason so many times but it's it's the Red 18 Rock. I think yeah <laughs> yeah I saw Loretta 18 times Loretta mm-hmm. Loretta Lynn three times I've seen Miranda 10 that's that's pretty that's yeah 18 awesome. times wow yeah so I'm, I, Ought to be in a fan club at this <laughs> yeah. point. So I kind of mentioned that you've been at this for a long time, but what I'm trying to get at is a lot of times uh, artists will step onto the scene and they're like, this new artist, Josh Merritt, has his album out. You've been at this since, tell us a little bit. You've been, when did you, how long have you been playing and how long have you been at it professionally? So I've been without another source of income besides playing music. Um, since 2014 so next let's see september of next year will be 10 years that that uh just playing music has been my full-time profession i think they say it takes a decade to make it well we'll see see. (laughs) i could have made that up i don't know but i feel like that's something that's said that could be i believe it it. makes sense yeah but uh so how long have you been playing like i I feel weird asking these questions because I know you're right. my brother, but um, <laughs> I don't. On so. a professional standpoint, tell me. Tell me. <laughs> uh, you've been playing since what age? Uh, I think I started playing um, upright bass when I was seven years old. I remember that. Mm-hmm. This is the thing about uh, Josh, as I remember it. He's always been an entertainer, mm-hmm. not, not even musically, but he would have these recordings, these tape recordings. He'd be like, hey, y'all. He would, be, he would be like playing music, like, and he'd be like, hey, y'all, y'all are listening to WOMI, and that was da 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 da, like acting like he was the musician and yeah. then changing into a voice where he was the radio guy. Daddy, I love that. Daddy's still got tapes <laughs> yeah. of, of that. Yeah, he so, played them for me not too long ago. It's been in his, in his blood for a long time, but. Yeah. Cool. You know, my, my mom t- uh, tells people all the time, she does the mom thing where she's, uh, 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 she she tells people about how you know when I was four or five years old I used to have one of those like play school microphone things. Mm-hmm. I used to tell everybody that came over like I'm gonna be a country music singer one day. Wow, crazy! I know. Look at you now, over a thousand, a hundred thousand views on your latest YouTube video. Yeah, music pretty video. neat. Cool. We're getting there, maybe. So, what did you do before? Go- because you've done music again. I've said this a thousand different ways, but. You've done, you've played music your whole life, but before you did uh, music professionally, what were you shooting for or what were you doing at the time to kind of, to make me- ends meet? So, um, our dad, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Paul. God love you, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so our dad does heating and air. And, and so, uh, you know, being his son whereas you guys didn't get drug out of the house to go work on lawnmowers and stuff <laughs> listen like that. here well, I, I was did, yelled so. out for not holding the flashlight correctly many a time <laughs> so but i would get dr- drug into a lot of this stuff yeah, and, yeah. and and you know drug out on service calls and stuff like that yeah. so d- daddy taught me a lot just because it was what he did and mm-hmm. and so when i graduated uh 
not even like, oh, because I want to go do this. I felt like, well, I need to get a job, and I know a little bit about that already and had a plug through him for that already. Um, so I thought, well, I'll go into heating and air. And I, t- I took some heating and air courses through high school. You could do the tech school program. And so I got out of school and, and uh, started doing heating and air, and I did that for seven years, I think, until I – so I was 24, so 18 to 24, yeah, seven years. Hmm. Six, seven, six, seven years, yeah. 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 Math. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't look at me. I don't do math. So, um, and then about two years into that, I thought, man, I don't want to do this the rest of my life for sure. You don't? And No, I didn't. Oh. I didn't. <laughs> you don't? Fondle uh, crawling under houses for uh, the next yeah, 20 no years. I mean, it's a noble living for sure, but I, it just, I, I figured out like maybe something else. And so I started going to college at night. Um, and the job that I'd gotten in the short period between graduating high school and going into heating and air, I was a security guard for about three months at <laughs> the executive inn in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is like a humongous, uh, hotel with a showroom lounge and it was you know it was um dolly parton played there in the 80s it was like a big deal willie nelson a bunch of people yeah a bunch of people played there but i was security guard for like two months and they shut down while i worked it's a place that's been open 100 years i worked there for two months and they decided to not only close the doors but demolition the place it was insane yeah yeah why there was hard rats and things oh it was yeah it was pretty bad toward the end but um but when I was doing that security work, I got to work with um, like police officers a lot because really I was just like a rent a cop, you know. So I, I just, Paul I, yeah, I, was I just got the, it was, I was though. Like, I, but I, they gave us the suit and we had badges and the whole thing. No. And, and man, I I know how those guys feel. Man, that's you put that badge on and walk around for a minute, and all of a sudden I was like, "Powerful, huh?" Listen, guys, no loitering in the lobby here. <laughs> Moving along, you know, eighteen-year-old me, and so uh, we would have these events and stuff, and we work with OPD, and and uh, as much as they were probably laughing at us behind closed doors, they would really hype us up, like, "Thanks for your assistance on that <laughs> throwout," and, blah, blah. and so uh, I got it in my head. I was like, "I'm gonna be a cop." <laughs> And so I, mean, I started going to uh, taking criminal justice classes, and I actually got, I got my associate's degree in criminal justice. Um, wow! And then the, the week that I graduated, um, so, so I would go to I was working a day job doing heating and air, eight plus hours. I was going to college at night for three hours every night of the week, and then there for a little while right before i graduated i started playing music out uh, at some of the bars in town so there was a space of time probably six months where at least half the week i was working full-time going to school after i got off work and then going straight from school and going to play music at night when i was wow. first starting and i did that for probably six months straight where i was you know four nights of four hours of sleep a night type thing and sure. and um so i the, the week that i graduated from college with my associates i actually got offered a job at the the police department in town i didn't know that mm-hmm. yeah uh and so i was pretty much told if you do the you know I, it was a it was kind of a plug thing so i was pretty much told if you do the interview and we'll have you at the academy in a couple okay weeks. i'm sorry i 
I believe in you in every dream you go after, but mm. I just can't see you as a cop. I can't. I can't now. I could back then, but I yeah. just, yeah, it was more, I don't know. Yeah, I can't see it now either. Like um, you approaching a car. How are y'all doing this evening? Yeah. I can't do it. I can't see it. But well, especially I, if you want to go after that dream still, I, I approve. That's still my backup plan. So never say <laughs> never, right? You, you can do it. Well, the, so the week that I, I graduated uh, with my criminal justice degree, I was I was offered that job. Um, and then also... Um, Andy Brasher, who's from our town, played with this band called Brasher Bogue, mm-hmm. and they were traveling nationally at the time. They were opening up for Kenny Chesney on the road and doing a bunch of stuff on wow. their own. They were kind of our hometown guys at the time. They wow. were out doing it. Everybody was rooting for them. And um, Andy, when he was in town, hosted an open mic at the Buller Room, which is a bar back where I come from. And so when he was in town, it was a big deal. Everyone would come out on Tuesdays, and it was like this musician swap meet. And that's where I used to go and cut my teeth when I was first starting to play. And I went down there and played. It was the same week as I graduated. I got this job offer and everything. And uh, a lady that was helping manage him and book some shows for him at the time was putting together this package show through the Florida Keys, um, to where she was, it was like Brasher Bogues thing, and uh, she was she came down and sit through this open mic, and there's so much talent in Owensboro, and all of them oh used to God. come out during that week, and she sit and she was like, oh my God, and and uh, I was just starting this band with another buddy of mine. There was several other really good bands. Long story short, she ended up approaching like three of us after the open mic, and she was like, hey, I'm putting together this package show. It's two weeks in the Keys, one night on, one night off. She's like, I can't pay you anything. But she's like, I'll take care of everything. Like, wow. your stay, yeah. your food, <laughs> and it's one night on, one night off. So the nights that you're off, you can go do whatever. We'll take care of it. You know, we'll figure it out. And uh, if you want to do it, no money, but it's going to be really cool. Wow. And so I thought, well, I just got this offer. Like, I had, I was supposed to do this interview the next week. Um, and then also I worked. So I ended up, I got off work, figured out that I could get off work. And I had this decision to, like, go to the police academy or go to the Keys for two weeks. No pay. With no pay. <laughs> and just for, you know... Anyway, I, I went down there, had the greatest time of my life, and it it was honestly what what planted the seed in my mind. Like we went down there, and we were really bouncing from each island, doing a different show every night, and like I was, it was the first time I felt like I was on the road with people mm-hmm. I knew, and like getting to the venue and setting up, and a vicious taste of it. And I, I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt when I left. I, I literally knew on on the drive home. I remember looking out the it sounds. I remember looking out the window at the ocean when we were driving mm-hmm. off the last island. We were on our way home, and me thinking, "This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life." And I, I remember thinking, "I got to figure out how to quit my job." <laughs> mm-hmm. Now it would have been it was two more years before I actually quit my job and went full time. Okay. But I knew in that moment I started planning, and I literally put a plan together. Um, to get to a place where I could quit my job and mm-hmm. just do music full time. So, wow, anyway. incredible! Cool. Yeah. You answered my next question, so we're gonna skip right over it. What was it? What was it? <laughs> when did it hit you that music was more than just a hobby and that you were gonna make a career out of it? Mm, so it yeah. was right then. 
Right that then. was it. Good job. Looking at the ocean. So we grew up with a great appreciation for music, and when we listened to music, we knew who the musicians were. Our mm-hmm. dad was like a—he's like an encyclopedia. He'll know what fiddle player is playing with what band, what song, who wrote that song. He knows who did it. So we kind of grew up with that. So this question kind of goes along with that. Is there a lyric, song, or album in general that you remember stop that you remember stopping you in your tracks and inspired you to make better music? Hmm. I can remember two. And it can go back from when you were a child. You were mm-hmm. like, it had an impact on you. I can remember two big moments, and they're two very separate moments. But um, when I was probably 19, me and Daddy came to Nashville. We used to just come to Nashville every now and then. and He'd take me down to Broadway during the day when, when you could get into the bars underage and go down there. And yeah, we would sit out on the sidewalk while y'all went in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back when Broadway was cool. <laughs> yeah. So me and Daddy had come down, and we really didn't have a plan. I think he was just wanting to get out of town for a little bit. And mm-hmm. and we came down, and um, some locals were telling us that this new local band called the Steel Drivers was playing at the Station Inn. Holy cow. This mm-hmm. new local band <laughs> called the Steel Drivers was playing at the Station Inn, which is, you know, the... I would call it the premier bluegrass spot in Nashville. Oh, yeah. You know, wow. like it. Um, um, and I'd been to the station in several times, and and uh, but even even Daddy was like, uh, he was like, I've never heard of them, and I know of everybody, oh, you know. Yeah. And he's and so we we actually looked for something else to do, we, mm. uh, and got to the end of the night, and we we're like, well, let's go let's go check out that band they was talking about. So we went and was sitting like fourth row, and I was nineteen years old. And they came out on the stage, and I got to hear Chris Stapleton in a room of 50 people. Dude. For the first time, like, sitting right in front of me. <laughs> and, and I remember I listened to that whole show, and I, the, the not just him singing, but the lyrics, the way they, their songwriting, the way they approach the songs, the way, hey, this is bluegrass, but there's so much more mixed into all of it. I can remember... It touched me. It touched mm-hmm. me very deep, and I remember thinking, like, this is something different. This isn't what I listened to on the radio. This isn't, you know, yeah. like, what is this? So that was a huge moment. That that definitely uh, changed me on my course of the music I like and write and listen to. Um, the other one was the first time I heard um, Cross Canadian Ragweed. You guys familiar mm-hmm. with Cross I'm not, Canadian Ragweed? No. Uh, Cody Canada. Um, they've they were only together for a short period of time. They've been broke up for years. That's why a lot of people have never heard of them. But they made essentially what I – they were the first taste of what I guess people call Americana or alt-country mm-hmm. that I would ever really dove into and, and sunk my teeth into and was like, oh, this is – there's so much mixed into this. like, mm-hmm. And there's so much better storytelling going on mm-hmm. here than what I'm usually spoon-fed, you know, and – and uh, I remember I started listening to a lot of different music after I got into them. Wow. And nice. uh, so that was probably a big one, too. Cool. Awesome. So is there a song that you've heard and you wish that you could claim it, like you can claim that you wrote it, that it was so good? Mm-hmm. Elephant by Jason Isbell. Okay. Mm. Nice. Cool. Yeah. It's a... It's a, it's a um, interesting... I love perspective, and I love... I love a song that's 
it's like, oh, I've never, nobody's ever written it from that angle mm. before, you know. And that, that song is written about a, um, a guy who's watching, I don't really tell you, maybe a friend, maybe an ex-lover, maybe a, uh, maybe a friend that at one time this person wanted to date, but she's dying of cancer in the song. And it's from this guy's perspective of him watching his friend who he has bar hopped with for the last mm-hmm. 10 years. He's watching her die of cancer and the process of it happening. And it's, uh, it's written so beautifully. That's one of the greatest songs of all time. I love wow. songwriters. Song, like the way that people can come up with an idea that nobody else thought of is so cool. Yeah. What about, what about you? You're a great songwriter, I think. Oh, so sure. What, Thank you. What song do you um, feel like? On top of my head, we were listening to it on the way down. I'm on a big Joni Mitchell kick right now. Mm. She has a song called A Case of You. And it, it's saying, uh, one of the lines is, if I could drink a case of you, I'd still be on my feet. And I just find that such a... Mm. That's a great one. Ugh. That's a great line. That's a good line. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But thank you for the compliment out of nowhere. You're welcome. You are, you I, wish I, I wish I wrote Guarantee. I'm just saying. Oh! <laughs> You're such a champ for guarantee. I am. I will ride that song <laughs> to the end of my days. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, you have quite the list of accomplishments under your belt. You opened for Hank Williams Jr. You wow. have um, been featured by... Amer- okay, first of all, American Songwriter was in our household all the time. And then Josh got featured on it. Wow. Yeah. crazy. So, um, my question huge. is, which one of your accomplishments seems to be the most surreal? And maybe it's the one I just said. That one's a big one. <laughs> oh, that one was that was something else. Uh, it's because I, I remember when um, when I got the news that they were going to do a write up on on my song. Uh, I literally had a copy of American Songwriter sitting oh, on my wow. table, and I thought, "Wait a minute, we're we're getting featured in what?" <laughs> yeah, so it was. How'd you find out? Who told you? It was also my publicist. Your publicist, okay. Yeah. Full yeah. circle moment. Yeah. I love those. When yeah. was this? When were you featured? Mm, Would have been... Was um, it around COVID? Yeah, I put the record out. I put my last record out in uh, two, November of 2020. So it would have been... Wow. Yeah, it would have been the lead up to that. So it would have been probably October, November of 2020. Awesome. Dagum. It was yeah. so crazy. Dagum. Yeah. So, I'm so proud. I just want to say that Thank I am you. proud. Thank very you proud. very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, looking back over your career thus far, mm-hmm. that's not a word I use, so I don't know if it's proper. Thus, thus far, okay. Thus far. Thus far. Um, what are some things that you would want to do different career-wise? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I'll say this honestly. So, the first, it was always my dream to make music be my full-time job. Um, but because it was early on when I was first getting started mm-hmm. and, and, and really trying to play enough shows um, to make a living firsthand, mm-hmm. sometimes when your your entire goal goes into making a living doing your art, um, it formulates the decisions that you make about how you do it. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Um, Please do. <laughs> well, so if you're if you're unknown and you're 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 just wanting to book shows, the goal is only to book shows, mm-hmm. and so that's your only mission. Mm-hmm. There's no other questions that are asked. So sometimes when you're calling those venues and you need that show, it's 
hey, what do I need to do to play your place? Yeah. Who do I need to be to play your place? And most of the, most of the time, especially early on, the answer to that question was, I need you to play top 40s hits that people can sit in their seat and sing all the words to. Well, I don't really listen to top 40s music. Well, this guy over here does, so maybe this isn't the venue for you. So all of a sudden, especially like, so I, I quit my job in, in 2014, September 2014. Um, I found out Jan, no, I found out, sorry, February no. of 2000. Uh, 15 that I was going to be a dad wow. <laughs> you know so six months after taking this leap into this and uh that's a little so, scary <laughs> so that's another thing so it's like I, it's like well do I need to go back to work or or can I do this and I said I can do this but I have to stay busy so especially early on in those first years I would take any show that was offered to me mm-hmm. if literally someone come up and they said um we need you to be um a Johnny Cash in person. I never did this, but but yeah. they probably could have came up and said, we need you to be a Johnny Cash impersonator tonight. This is what it pays, I would say. Absolutely. Okay. So my point being is there was no levy on the whole first half of my career. I, there was no levy on who I was as an artist mm-hmm. or what I could mm-hmm. be or what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. I knew all those things. I, I wrote songs and I knew that I wanted to do my own music, but there honestly, I, there wasn't room for it in that time. So to answer your question, I, I know other people that have had, um, and there's all kinds of different avenues to success, but I've seen other people do it from a place of um, where they had a job that allowed them the space to be an artist at night so that they were making their living not from their art Mm -hmm. and it gave their art room to grow they had Mm -hmm. something else that was financing their art they had another foundation so they had artistic freedom where you didn't have exactly exactly because their bread and butter didn't come from the music their bread and butter was coming from this other job they were doing and they were using that money to stoke the fire for the thing so what i'm saying is sometimes when all your car, you know, when yeah. all your eggs are in one basket, it it it, it limits how many eggs you can carry. Right. If that makes any sense. It does. And so, I guess to to answer your question, um, maybe I would have took that approach to it. But you know, even sitting here thinking that though, like um, I, the the route that I took is a longer one, and uh, sometimes the longer road is is the one. And I believe everything happens for a reason. I believe that the route I've taken was my route and it wouldn't wouldn't have went the same if i didn't take this route but um i also think that yes maybe you were limited on your artistic freedom but getting out there and singing those hit songs kind of built up you got familiar with like crowds and like what people like to hear and mm -hmm. yeah that's what i mean you learn so much by um i'll say this the same people that i've seen have um success and maybe it was a little bit quicker um, they yeah they didn't have the they didn't have the their teeth cut the same way so um, you know I've I've there was a time and when I played probably the first well still some nights it's you know some nights you play to three hundred four hundred people and some nights there's four people that show up for mm-hmm, the show you mm-hmm. know and some people can't handle that like me I've done it enough that it's I'm okay either way like mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying so. But um, 
again, that's stuff that you learn by getting out there and doing it. Yeah. By, you know. Right. Um, that reminds me of when we talked about Minnie Pearl and she's like, don't fluff the show. Yeah. That reminds me of that. Yeah. I uh, have a question. Yeah. And it's going back to the previous question about Hank Williams Jr. opening for him. Mm-hmm. I want to know how that happened. Like, what was that like for you being told that you're going to, and was it on tour? No. So that was actually, that was one of the uh, very early on things that I got to do. And there was this big music festival in my hometown called uh, the Big Old Music Festival. <laughs> and uh, the Big Old Music Festival. <laughs> it was and, such a big uh, deal. It's not it was anymore. It was big. Yeah. So they had premier artists and I mean, it was a, it was a huge festival one time. And um, something that they used to do was they would hold a contest every year uh, called the Battle for the Big O, and they would have uh, locals or anyone that was in, I guess, radio distance uh, that wanted to come join the contest, and you pretty much competed for an opening spot for that show. Oh, wow. And, uh, and my band won it one year. So, oh, Wait, okay, so I was in the crowd this night. Mm-hmm. Me and my sister, our hearts were like pounding out of our chest. We wanted this so bad for you. And when they said your name, it was like a movie moment. Like... <laughs> We jumped up. We were so proud. It was, it was a big deal. Thank you. Yeah, it, yeah we we loved. I actually that was my second year doing it. So yeah. I'd, I'd lost the year before, I think, and wasn't even going to do it the second year. I oh thought, my gosh, well, it's just so not for you me, did. you know. And and we did it. And honestly, even up to getting to the finals and all that stuff, like my mindset was, my mindset was. Ah, it's not going to happen. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. Every time I get into that mode in my life, that's when I have success. So I try. <laughs> I don't try to get in that mode anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it seems like when I get to that spot where I'm not there's not pressure face deep into something wanting it yeah. so bad is when it ends up. And that's the way it was with that. I remember thinking like, ah, who cares either way. Mm-hmm. And then we won. I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> that's neat. so neat. So this fun. Story. But that was my first. Uh, st- we got to go backstage. We pulled a sprinter backstage, right in between all the big buses. We had the, <laughs> we had this little camper that we pulled up. We propped it up, man, and we had our grill out front and everything, man. Nobody else was even getting off their bus. We I was outside that. having a barbecue. wait. Who else was there that night? There was uh, oh, it was Charlie Daniels. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie Daniels. Yeah, Charlie. Da- that was okay. honestly, yeah. I loved uh, the uh, Hank Williams Jr. But uh, uh, Charlie Daniels. Came and knocked on the door after we played, and he said, th- "He said, great job." Yeah. I love him. He was we in hear gray so. <laughs> he was. We hear so many, and we've dealt with so many artists that kind of, yeah, attitude. So I like hearing, like the that's a humble act right there. Yeah, to yeah Charles with. Daniels is great. Yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, don't you have his bow. I do. I have little bow. I have two of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've told this story a thousand times, but one of the coolest moments of that whole thing was um so even when he came up there he had two guys i mean he was up in age even at that Mm -hmm. point you know and uh he had two guys kind of helping him around and i remember they walked him to the stage that night and it was two guys literally holding both of his arms and i mean he looked like he could barely walk and he hit the stage and he barely got up the steps and i remember he got to the top step i mean i watched this from the wing Mm -hmm. he got to the top step he took a big breath and he walked out on that stage and was doing high kicks and yeah, yeah, swinging yeah. his bow yeah. and it was just like he flipped on a switch you know and it was like this guy couldn't even walk backstage you know but it's that 
I get it because I, I do it too. Like there's this mentality where I'm like, all right, we're on. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, you're showman. Yeah. It reminds me. <laughs> Have you seen the Katy uh, Katy Perry documentary thing? Yeah. So she she's uh, uh, backstage before her show. And she gets news that Russell Brand wants to divorce her. Through a text message. Through a text he texted message. her. So oh she's like God. coming up from the stage, like coming up. And she's like crying, crying, crying. And then as soon as her eyes le- hit level yeah. with the crowd, she's like, she, she goes, like puts it on. That's it. And it's like, that gave me so it's chills. It gave like, me chills yeah. too. Because I'm like, damn, that's a freaking performer, like, dude. Sobbing like sobbing her eyes out. And then as soon as her eyes hit level with the crowd, she was like on. It's yeah. uh, there's got to be a name for that because it's it, and it's not just an entertainment. You think of a you think of a heart surgeon going in to do heart surgery yeah. on somebody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like they're hey, I, your my, your mom just passed. You know, yeah. you don't get to go. Hey guys, I gotta go. Like right. no, there's somebody on the table that like you have to turn it on and you go handle the thing. And uh, there's a one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. There was I don't even know he was some kind of a government official, but he was doing a a, um, he was talking to the nation about something about a war or something, but he got there and the press is just hounding him. And one of the people they asked, they're like, what about the news we just heard that your wife and kids just died in a horrific Stop. car wreck? And he was like, yeah, that just happened. And he's like, I'm really tore up about it. And, and then another person asked him, was like, what are you doing? Why are you here? And he said, well, you know, he's like, I, this is the saddest I've ever felt in my entire life. He's like, but you know, there's a nation at hand here, and I took a duty to do this, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm here to do my duties, Damn, and uh, I'll handle Ugh. that after I get off here. You know, and I thought, man, so there's got to be a name for that. I don't know, maybe there's a, no, a word not for that. Yeah, it's not coming to mind right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of touched on this um, in the question about how you would, if you would, could do something in your career differently, but. If you were a kid or if you knew a kid or a teenager that wanted to take the path, they said they want to be an artist, what is some advice that you would give to them? Mm, go out and play as much as possible, you know, which say. is kind of, it kind of contradicts what I said a while ago, because I, I I think that I would have done it different and, and maybe found a shorter path. But that's only because I want it quicker, but it, it takes off the table, mm-hmm. again, all the things that I've learned over the years, and there's things... There's absolutely nothing that, especially in music, that will prepare you for what's to come other than mm. just going out and doing it over and over and over and over and over and yeah. over and over again. I, I was going to when I wrote this question, I was like, what would I say? And I was like, if I could go back in time, because when I could play guitar, I was like, and I had the chance to play, I was like, I can't go play. I, I suck too bad. Mm-hmm. You just got to go suck and go suck again yeah. and keep sucking until you don't suck. That's it. And I wish I would have just went out and did it because now I, I can't really play anymore. But I just wish I would have yeah. done that. But yeah, do you remember Taylor Swift's VMA performance where she was out in the streets of New York and she was like dancing on a taxi or mm-hmm. whatever? It yeah. was atrocious. Okay, <laughs> yeah. God bless her. Yeah, she clearly took that mm-hmm. and got some voice lessons, and now she's a great live Dance performer. Like, yeah. She she can do it now. Yeah, but before mm-mm, I say dance good. lessons, I meant voice lessons. Oh, voice lessons, performing lessons. <clears throat> <clears throat> nothing yeah. nothing takes the place of experience, and yeah. that's that that's a lesson I've learned in itself is that uh, 
there's no substitution for practice and for hard work and for doing something over and over you know i can remember like now as a guitar i can remember a time when i first started i I literally learned to play guitar probably the same as you i don't know but i wanted to be a singer i wanted to be a songwriter Mm -hmm. i didn't necessarily it was never my dream to be a guitar player but i i wanted to play guitar so that i could play my songs you know so i wanted to know how to play guitar just enough Mm -hmm. that i could go sing my songs and i can remember there was some point early on where i thought man i really like playing guitar but I'm not a good guitar player. Like, I remember thinking that about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, it's not, and I, not being self-conscious about it, but just thinking, I'm not here to play guitar. Like, mm-hmm. so it's okay. And then I remember this point uh, where I thought, man, I would, I'd like to be able to play guitar. Like some of my peers, you know, when I played out and stuff, there were guys that were like, man, they're really good guitar players and it adds so much. And I can remember, you know, wanting to learn that more and more and more. And, uh, now I, I consider myself a pretty good guitar player now, you know, I think, and what I mean by that is I don't, I don't even have to think about playing guitar anymore. Whereas at one time mm. I did, I did. You what know a what dream. <laughs> well, I I'm like G chords. But <laughs> I can't even play a guitar. And that, that's kind of my point though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I can remember before I thought that like, okay, I've, I'm a decent guitar player. Before I thought that, it, I did. I had. I think it was because I had to think so much about mm-hmm. playing that guitar and doing it. And I think that consistency. That's maybe what makes you a professional. Yeah. I don't know. Is is when you whatever that level is where it's second nature. You're not. You're not having to think about it. You mm-hmm. know, uh, so much. And um, I think the only way you get that way is from putting in. You know, there's the 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 rule what is it the 10,000 hour rule to become a, you don't know that to, so to become a professional at anything i forget who said this but it takes 10,000 hours of doing whatever you're doing if you put wow. 10,000 hours into something um that's enough time to master photography for drawing whatever if you know as long as you have some kind of a push behind it or whatsoever but wow yeah wow so, um, most people would think that you have to move to Nashville to get any kind of success mm. in the industry. You are located in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is about two hours from Nashville, but you do come to Nashville here and there. Mm. Uh, what do you feel, like, what are some roadblocks that you have hit? And then what are some positives that have come from not being in mm. Nashville mm. all the time? Well, um, I had plans to move to Nashville at one time, and um, luckily enough, I've always had friends that were down here, you know, chasing the same dreams, and so there for a long time, I had always had couches to sleep on and mm-hmm. people to put me up, and and so I think there was a time where I was I was coming down here quite a bit, and I was. I was couch jumping a little bit. Not that I, I never got the taste of actually living in Nashville, but I got enough of it that I, I thought this city doesn't draw me in like it does some people. And I I love Nashville so much, but, um, I came up with the conclusion very, very early on that two hours isn't that far to drive. You know, it'd be different if, if, if we were six hours away or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if you've got to go do business in Nashville, 
you know, I can wake up by, well, just like today, you know, yeah. it's like, well, you can wake up in the morning and be here in a couple hours and do your thing, have time to go do whatever and still be, have enough time to get home and be in your own bed at night. So, um, it can take two hours at certain times to drive across Nashville, you know, so, mm-hmm. so two hours to drive down was never anything to me. Um, some of the downfalls of not living in Nashville is a lot of opportunities are, um, or giving out the back door. That's the way a lot of my peers say it, you know. So um, sometimes when there's an opportunity to do something, even on a big scale, even as as big as playing the Grand Old Opry, you know, mm-hmm. why would you go? Why would you go search two hundred miles away or three hundred miles away when there's people that are ready to play that are. Mm-hmm three blocks away yeah. you know what i'm saying I like know. that's where you're gonna that's the pond you're gonna pick your your fish from mm-hmm. um when you're uh, them uh also one of the great things about nashville is this is just a melting pot of musicians from all over the place and the best musicians in the world i mean some of the best musicians in the entire world are right here in nashville tennessee and and uh a lot of those guys um don't don't give access to themselves unless you're in Nashville. You know like like a lot of my I've got a, a bunch of friends that play down on Broadway and make a good living down on Broadway and and um those guys rightfully so all try to take care of each other and try to protect their territory down yeah. there, you know. Yeah. There's a there's this there's this energy that like hey, we took the leap and moved down here like mm-hmm we don't need somebody that's two hours away comfortable in their home Mm -hmm. coming down here and getting these you know these these gigs that are making our living they should be giving us somebody that made the the leap to get down here and stuff so um the whole pay your dues kind of sure sure but which you're paying dues too sure but it goes the other way too like if you're me and you're on whatever level i'm on and say you're calling down for like hey i need a guitar player like you know anybody a lot of those guys are like well hat is is he a nashville guy i'm like and mm-hmm. No, and they're like, nah, I'll, I'll just kick it on Broadway. Yeah, that's oh. a thing. That's you can lie. Thing. You can just say you live here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just use my address. Yeah, just give Liz's address. <laughs> I literally had seriously. A, I literally had a friend uh, that was trying to get me Broadway uh, gigs at one time, which I didn't really have. I like playing Broadway, but it's not like I'm not. Um, I'm not if i don't play there that's okay too yeah. you know what i'm saying so but this guy was very passionate about getting me some broadway gigs and um he actually asked me to change my website to where my hometown was to nashville wow. so that he could do this and i was like no no no, i absolutely not I yeah yeah so anyway hey you're where johnny depp's from okay if johnny oh, depp yeah. can do it oh man yeah. <laughs> One's broken we are known for barbecue blue bridge and bluegrass. And bluegrass. <laughs> BBB, baby. All day long. 270. All right. Oh, gosh. So, as an independent artist, I on a small scale know this, uh, you wear several different hats. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so wait, what was that? Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As an independent artist, I'm sure you have wore several different hats in order to launch your own career. What are all the roles that you have taken on to launch yourself, and what aspect or role do you find the most challenging? Hmm, it's a good question. 
These are good. These are really good questions. I know. Good job, Whitney. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> that took a long you time to write this episode. And I'm like proud of you. Yeah, this is really good. I'm a bit investigative journalism here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, the further you go along, I'm just now starting to delegate some of this stuff. So that's why I think it's a good question, is because I'm just now to the point where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starting to delegate. But up until this point. It was all me, every mm-hmm. piece of it. So, yeah, you're the you're the musician, uh, you're the singer, um, if, if you're the band leader most of the time, um, you're the manager, you're the booking agent, you're the publicist, tour manager, you're the Merch. tour manager, <laughs> you're the merchandise instructor. Sometimes you're the merchandise slinger. Slinger. Attendant. We'd be good slingers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's many shows. Still still to this day where I'll have to set my merch up in the back uh-huh. and play in the whole show. I see people back there like they want to buy a t-shirt and I'm like, like damn it. I just have to get off this <laughs> <laughs> So that run back after I'm done and I'm the I'm the merch attendant too. Um yeah you're you're all those things. You're everything. You're everything, and and it takes every step of those things to do it, and uh, you know early on, some of my early bands, you know, the big thing is you you book shows, and and uh, early on it was just like if you went and got paid for a show, it was well we just divvy this up even, mm-hmm. and then get out the door, and it took me years to figure out like what, what, wait a minute, hang on. <laughs> Right. <laughs> there's a lot more going on over here than what these these guys are just showing up and, and yeah. no not taking away from that end of it but yeah. uh you know so it took it took me a long time i think when i finally figured that out was when i went to i hired somebody to help me do some booking one time and there was a percentage i had to pay them well i only did that for a little while that relationship didn't end up working out but i remember after um after that relationship ended, I remember thinking, well, I paid them to do this. Why mm-hmm. am I not paying me to do this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, you're doing everything. It's, it's literally everything, and it's very time-consuming. What aspect of, like, all the roles that you've played do you find the most challenging? Like, social media to me. Oh, God. It's I could so not be a social media manager. Mm-mm. I have no clue. Where would you start? What do people want to see? I just, I don't know. Do you feel the same way, or is there a different? I do. So, yeah, what I try to do is 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 well, it's just like what you said. Put on a different hat when I'm managing different stuff, and if I'm booking, I try to think of things like a booking agent would, not so much like a like an art. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm, yeah. if you do, you're going to make decisions differently. And same with social media. A lot of times with social media, uh, I'm not, I'm not natural at it either. So a lot of times I find myself just, um, checking around the, and seeing what strikes my attention on social media. The things that I like about social media, yeah. you know, that I see from other artists, um, and then taking note of that and saying, mm-hmm. hey, that's a good, I don't need to copy that, but like, that's a good way to go about yeah. that. That's not annoying to me or that's not, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you weren't an artist yourself, but you still wanted to work in the music industry, what role would you take on? I could, I could be a manager just because of the skills that I've had to learn to manage myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've thought about that before that, mm. um, uh, and it, and again, it's one of those things. We had a conversation on the way down. 
it was just like learning to play the guitar, not because I wanted to play guitar, but because I knew I had to. You know, to mm-hmm. do the, it's the same with with that. I have no passion about the music industry whatsoever. Really? <laughs> you know, n- n- no. Hmm. I, I like to play music. And that's and, a true uh, artist. Yeah. Answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. You know, if if you don't have someone to do those things for you, and and then you have to learn to do it yourself. And the longer you do something, the better you get at it. Experience same way, whether you want to or not. And mm-hmm. so, those roles I found that uh, j- just from doing them over and over, I've, I I do think I'm, I think I could manage somebody else and and show them success too. Yeah. Awesome. So. <laughs> Some artists hope to one day play the Grand Ole Opry, and some hope to play Madison Square Garden. But what is a dream venue for you? The Ryman. Really? Oh. I thought you were going to say Red Rocks. I did, too. No, no the Ryman. The Ryman would be so cool. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that place. Okay, I- let's have a full circle moment. What the hell? We're putting it into the universe. Yeah, I wish I was having a seizure. No, just, we didn't I'm even know kidding. what we're doing. Manifestation. I'm just kidding. Um, no, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Last time I was at the Ryman was Loretta Lynn. Last Next time, time it's going to be Josh Merritt. Yeah. Ooh. The coolest part would, would be that you would have your name on a hatch print. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I don't know what that is. A hatch print? <gasps> I'm oh. sorry. No, so you know the concert, the bill that it's like a poster and it has who's playing to, is the date oh, and it's yeah, printed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hatch prints are really cool because they only print so many like one time. Oh wow! So yeah. when you get a hatch print, that's an original print. Oh, that, wow. they roll yeah. it out on a around yeah. It's, a, it's like a big ink stamp. You can actually take the tour downtown. I haven't been on um, and they like roll it on the paper and they like make so many and then once they're sold out, they're sold out. Wow. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. That'd be dope. Yeah, the rhyming for sure, though. Um, um, You've seen a lot of your favorite artists there. Yeah. Isbel. It's a great venue. A lot. I've seen a lot of shows there. I'm blanking on the redhead guy from Kentucky. Redhead Uh, guy from Kentucky. (laughs) I couldn't think of his name for nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't seen him there. That's his memoir. I thought you saw him there. Not there, no. No, I don't think so. My friend Packy did. Oh. And his wife, Kayla, I believe they did. Yeah, I've seen a bunch, though. I, one of my fir- the first concerts I ever went to was there with, I don't, you may have... Colin seen, Ray? We've seen Colin Ray. And that was my first like it was, uh, uh, Opry show. I mentioned it. Yeah, it, was, it was mine, too. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were sitting up in the balcony, mm-hmm. and he came on, and I loved Colin Ray. That was my man. And mm-hmm. I ran down to see him closer. Mm-hmm. I think the balcony is the best spot to be in the ride. Yeah, it is. Right? You get front row at the balcony, that's way better than yeah. the floor. And it's just got oh, that energy. Agree. The energy of the Ryman just. Absolutely. Kind of when I would close at night and have to take down the Opry Shop 2 upstairs, mm-hmm. I'd get like chills. I'm like, Hank Williams is like yeah. behind me or something. Yeah. But. Oh, you can feel it. There's definitely oh, yeah. energy in the wood there. The janitors uh, always used to tell us because as tour guides, we're like, and the shop. Mm-hmm. We're like the last people out, right? And they would tell us some creepy stories about like little Jimmy running around or mm-hmm. like other people. It was crazy. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I think I think Chris Smith needs to go in there with his paranormal. He better invite. <gasps> he might have some pool. We might be able to do that. Hey, let's give it a go. Mm-hmm. 
You want to come along? Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I'm, go hunting. I'm, I'm a rider now. <laughs> I'll try um, anything once. <laughs> so let's say where am I at here? Okay, as an independent artist, what do you feel is the best way to support you? Do you think it's merch sales, coming out to the shows, sharing on socials, adding you to a playlist? Hmm, that's uh, definitely coming out to the shows. I mean, oh. that yeah. Uh, so my income comes first and foremost from shows, oh. and uh, I think that that's. Um, I think that that is the foundation for the music business today. I was having this conversation not too long ago about how um, I think that the music industry um, flipped about 15, 20 years ago with streaming. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get asked the question all the time, like, um, what's your opinion with streaming and how has it affected you as an artist and things? And, uh, you know, if you've made your money um, for 15 years as an artist say you were an artist that came up in the 90s or 80s or any time any time before that whatsoever then you probably made your income from your music like that Mm -hmm. was where the music came from so there was a story that was told to me uh i think steven tyler was talking about this actually Mm -hmm. on a podcast that i listened to but he said that you know back in the day you can remember in the 60s that uh the plan was to sell songs so touring and going and playing shows um was almost the commercial to sell the songs. So you would go into a town and Aerosmith would be there or whatever. And it, it was three bucks to go see them. Or they, and if they didn't sell the three buck tickets, they would give the tickets away mm-hmm. just to fill the room because mm-hmm. we're not making our money off of the, the show. That's not the whole point. Mm-hmm. The point is to get you in the room so we can play the songs to you so that you will buy our music and listen to our music and stuff, which that's the foundation of the music business up until the last 20 years. So I th- I think if you made your money that way all these years and then all of a sudden you weren't getting paid squat for your songs mm-hmm. essentially it would be uh, a gut check for sure and you would it would feel so wrong me I'm coming up at a time where especially in my professional uh, life with this streaming has almost always been a thing I'm used to it and I think in today's market the thing about it is is it's flipped. I think artists now, you're making music and paying to go make music for that to be your commercial mm-hmm. to mm. get people to the live show to buy the ticket now, where, where it used to be backwards. So hmm. I think most artists these days, and that's, you know, there's a big, a lot of people are talking about right now how expensive ticket prices are and how expensive it is to go see some of the bigger artists. And, you know, I think there is a, there's a point where it's ridiculous, but at the same time, it's understanding that that is where that artist is making their living. And I, I've, I, all artists I think are making their living off of their live songs right now. If you have a record deal, you're streaming, you're not seeing none of that. Yeah. No, I don't, I, I want to. I'm glad you said that because I wanted to get your hot take on ticket prices. Because like, even when I wanted to see Blink 182 when they just toured, a ticket like even up in the nosebleeds it was like 600 bucks a person. I feel like that's just awful. Like it's, people are going broke in order to go see you, and yes, that's their own choice to yeah. do that, right? But I do have an opinion on this. I, I think 
I think it depends on what kind of a show you're going to see. And here's the thing. I think if if people can understand that that's where their favorite artists are making their money now and they're not making any money on the music that's the recorded version of it. The the, the recorded version of their song is the commercial now. Mm-hmm. For, for you to say, oh, I like this song. I want to go see them live mm-hmm. now. Where, again, it used to be like, oh, I like, you know, I seen this band that came through my town. Now I want to go listen to their music. Mm-hmm. Like it's backwards now. So here's my take on it. Like $100 for a ticket now, I think that's something that's going to be pretty standard for mm-hmm. your top tier artist now, mm-hmm. just because of what I just said. Here's the difference. If you're an acoustic artist going out on stage, there's nothing going on. It's you playing your songs. I think that's, that's honestly one tier, no matter how big or small. I don't care if you're Paul McCartney. If you're just going out on stage and playing your songs, uh, if you have any uh, moral compass whatsoever, right, right. you will know that that ticket has to be a certain price. Here's my other take on that. If you want to go see a Beyonce show, mm-hmm. if you want to go see Beyonce live, and you want to see Beyonce with the screens, with the special effects, with the 300 dancers on stage, with the pyrotechnics, with the technology that was literally invented for that show to make it such a surreal experience that it's nothing like you've ever seen in the world, then I don't think $1,000 for a ticket is too much to ask. Wow. <laughs> Being on the other side of that, I think that's crazy. <laughs> I, there's something I want to add to that because I've been on the other side of managing a venue's ticketing mm-hmm. ticket companies are taking a good portion of funds too and it's sure. being blamed on the artist sure, like, sure, sure. we have for a sure. fee for you using your debit card we have a fee for you parking we have a fee for you even utilizing our system yeah think about Ticketmaster. when you go to cash out that's at least 75 dollars more than you yeah. thought you were paying and then it's i was expecting you to say merch but i think i understand why you're saying because it is like when when I would want to give out like free songs or like it, advertise my Spotify, people would be like, "Well, you're not going to make money off that." To me, it's not about making. To me, it's like I want to get it out to anybody and everybody. And I think that's what you're saying is like again, that's your it's just like commercial. That's your uh, the music is the commercial to bring people in and to gather your following. So now it's like, how many people can I have yeah. follow that Spotify account to where when I'm putting new music about it. Now there's 300 people being notified about mm-hmm. it. Oh, wait a minute. Now there's 1,000 people being notified about it. You know what I mean? It's your, that's your commercial and your, and your uh, way to gather a, a following now, you know, mm-hmm. whereas it, it didn't used to be. So, yeah, it does matter. It does matter because that, the more people that are listening, the more that your pond can grow yeah. um, versus say. And just one more point on the, the um, the, the ticket pricing thing too and uh, just to double down I <laughs> double down just to, all right let's d- go down. just to double down here podcast or well <laughs> TED talk I meant not podcast well again with the the example for the Paul McCartney rolling in playing acoustic or something you know a limo is dropping him off there's a probably two people running sound for that thing I want you to think of what it takes for um Taylor Swift for example um What's running up and down the road? Now, uh, I use Beyonce as an example. I went and watched her her new music special that was in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fiance is a huge uh, Beyonce fan. 
as am I now, I think that was a really good, <laughs> that was a really cool concert. But she took you kind of behind the scenes a little bit. And something that you don't think about is, is for a tour to be that huge, there has to be, she has three ensembles of the entire show going at once. So if there's one set up in New York City and they're playing in Chicago tomorrow night, the one that's set up is there and the next ensemble it takes a week to set that stuff up. Mm-hmm. So they're already on their way to Chicago setting up in the next venue. And then if you're touring big enough, you've got a third one going to the next place and getting that ready to set up. And so she had, I think it was 32 truck drivers working for her. There was uh, 10 buses that it took to haul everybody around. Um, I think her complete staff was over 500 people just to make that show work. So here's the thing, like, how much do you think it costs to pay all those people? You know what I mean? And that's where that money comes from is from ticket sales, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, there's a lot that goes on. And I think I'm, I'm speaking so passionately about it because I never thought of it that way either. And this was, I used to have such a problem with it, but I never thought of it. I never thought of how much is going on in the background. I, uh, <laughs> I just Googled how many semis. It takes to put Taylor Swift a concert on. She has 90 trucks. Yeah, because for um, reputation, it was 82. 90 trucks, and she just gave every driver a $100,000 bonus. And that's awesome. But speaking as a stage manager, (laughs) okay? Yeah. You put on a show. I Let's say I'm the residential stage manager for a theater, right? Mm -hmm. Every show's prices are different. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I get paid any different. Yeah. So you could charge $500 for a ticket and I'm still scraping the end of the barrel because they're not changing my pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The venue's keeping that money. Yeah. Right? So that's where I'm coming from too. Oh, there's definitely they're they're definitely <laughs> dipping their kettle a little deep in the pot. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, like, for sure. There's an ebb and flow to everything. Sure. But Hey, if you want to go pay $1,000 to go see Beyonce, Josh, you go for it, buddy. Sure. I'm going to watch Era's tour on, uh, what is it called? Prom. Prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, that's the, I think that's the thing right there. I think that's exactly it, though. I think that, you know, um, if you want to go watch that, yeah. that's that's just Your speaking from that from the opposite yeah. end, you know, uh, if you want to go watch that, that's what you're going to have to pay if you don't. Then, then don't. They don't want you to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but they, they don't want me. <laughs> yeah, but they, but there there are people. Just but there are people. There, there are people that do. I'm just you kidding. Know? They probably and, don't. And they yeah, that's funny. Interesting take. We have to do a whole TED talk on uh, hot take, ticket hot ticket sales from different aspects of the industry. Yeah. Okay, it's, so what opportunities, if any, have come through social media connections? Mm-hmm. All of them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I would say all of them. Is that where your networking primarily is? Yeah, now, for sure. Say? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Because even if I, even the people that I meet in person, uh, usually uh, if I meet someone at a show, so let's say ninety percent then, because ten percent is meeting people actually face to face. But you never, who actually goes and has a meeting anymore? No, right. it's usually you pick up. Wow. On, yeah, you pick up on. That's an interesting viewpoint, which I don't know if you want to talk about this, but your publicist, you've never met face-to-face, have you? What? Mm-hmm. Never. He's in California. I didn't even know what he looked like until yeah. a few months ago. My mind is blown. Wow. <laughs> the internet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so what, neat. What does your team consist of? you have um, a publicist? Yeah, a publicist, and uh, I have a person that, that's 
my on again off again booking agent okay and uh, that's it yeah and me wow yeah that's my whole team all right well I just feel that like you're about to blow up. So if you need the stage manager or some merch oh, slingers, no. we're here. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so big news is in 2024, you're having an album drop. It's called 206, mm-hmm. and it's dropping on February 6, mm-hmm. 2024. Um, I was on purpose. Nobody's got it. Oh, 26. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> we did it. I thought it would be so like uh, cool, but I've had to it's tell It's your Taylor Swift moment. It's <laughs> your Easter egg. You're going to change your birthday to February 6th. I've had to tell everybody though. I thought everybody would get it right off, but everybody's been like, why are you dropping on a Tuesday? No, like, I love Friday's that. the thing. <laughs> and I love oh, that it's, it's a Tuesday. It is. Yeah. 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 Um, so Good job, Josh. what is Thank the you. significance? I know you've just released a video that shows tells the significance of 206, but can you briefly, because I know it can go into a, so many different avenues. But what is the meaning of 206? 206. <laughs> that's Journey and Imran. Yeah. That's our niece. That's our <laughs> oh, niece's song. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> 206 is a sign of encouragement. Okay. And uh, it goes back to numerology. It goes back to numerology. Uh, uh, so the record in whole is a concept record. Um, it's eight songs, not a long record, um, and it to me it di- it's it's the story of the rise and the fall of a relationship. It's not a breakup record per se, because there's it's about the start of a relationship, the middle of a relationship, the end of a relationship, and the um, getting back to life that comes at the end of a relationship. Um, so uh, my my ex used to see two o six. Everywhere, everywhere she went. Like I That's remember wild. on our first date that we went on, randomly, like we got the 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 bill and on the receipt, and she just two o six, and I remember pointing it out, and then we like moved past it, and then uh, yeah, she would for the entirety of our relationship, she would see two o six all the time. Well, then after we parted ways, um, maybe just because uh, you know thought or energy whatever but i i started singing 206 like all over the place it was really strange while well, i was on the road i can't even remember where i was at maybe maybe chicago but we had a day off and it's just something to do we went and got our palms red mm-hmm. and uh hmm. and the lady asked me if there were any numbers that were significant in my life and i Oh so, yeah, actually two oh six. Like what is that? And uh, she looked it up in a book, and in the book it it said all the things that I had said. That two oh six is a sign of encouragement. It's a sign. It's an angel number that when you're seeing it, it's sometimes it's the universe trying to tell you that uh, you're in a moment of growth for something very big that's to come. And that's so cool. So after knowing the definition of it, I thought, man, that's the definition of that entire relationship. Honestly, not just. For me, but I, I would, I, I can't speak for her, but I would say for her too. It was, we both did a lot of growing up in, mm-hmm. in those years, and there was a lot of life that happened in yeah. those years. And, and, uh, from an outsider, I'd say, uh huh. Yeah. I mean, that's been, <laughs> that's been a long time ago, but yeah. I, you know, I, I know I'm a different person now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she's a different person now. And so uh, that was part of it too, is I'm telling, I'm telling a story in this record that was a, a different part of my life that has since passed and it's not even a it's it's a piece of my history now. I've 
not only grown past it, but grown into a different person since then. And I'm sure that person has moved past mm-hmm. and grown into a different person. I bet we're not even the same people that we were when that story existed. So when I was thinking of what to call this record with that definition, it was like immediate, I thought. Wow. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely always growing because <laughs> do you ever have like the time hop things pop up on your Facebook and you're like, I cannot believe I said that in 2008. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My God, I'm embarrassed. Mine is always <laughs> school, period, work, period. <laughs> Like, that's Mine it. was super vague. I hate people like that now where they're like, I'm totally over it. Don't even ask me about it. And it's oh like, God. what are you talking What's going about? On? How's it going? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I told you not to ask me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> so um, are there any co-writers on the album? Hey, hey. We love that. Yeah, it's just me. You're I'm very proud. Oh, there's a cover on the on the album though. So yeah, I guess I should say yes. Well, there is. yeah. What's the? Uh, well, I guess any song's a cover that you didn't write though. So yeah, actually, there's a song on the record that I didn't write. So mm-hmm. okay. I uh, covered uh, Daryl Scott's uh, "River Take Me." I love that song. Yeah, it's a song that's been with me my whole life, and I've played. Actually, the contest that I was talking about that I won for the Big O, that's the song that I played on there that that we won the contest to open up for Hank Jr. with. That's so symbolic of like where you started mm-hmm. to now, mm-hmm. 206, growth. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I didn't I, I didn't just put the song on the record because I was like, oh, this song's been with me and I, I want to cover it. Uh, I put it on there because it, it actually filled a puzzle piece in the entirety of a story that I was trying to tell. And I thought, man, I don't have a... I don't have a song myself for that spot, but the song River Take Me tells that story. Mm-hmm. So um, part of the, the relationship that I was in was um, I was in that relationship through the pandemic. And so mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing to think about is two people who really weren't on sturdy ground going into the pandemic. And then we got locked in a house together. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's something. And um, that song to me, even though it wasn't written about that, what that song is to me tells the story of that time in my life and in that relationship because I was some, you know, there's a line in the song that says, uh, my wife and my kids, they don't have much to say. A man out of work only gets in the way. Mm. And uh, that's the way I felt through that time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm somebody that I was providing for my family going out and running up and down the road. And then all of a sudden I've come to a complete screeching halt mm-hmm. you know and i'm stuck in one place and we so, went through the same thing yeah um, entertainment yeah and so so yeah, it's tough dude yeah mm-hmm. but we're out of it yeah <laughs> thank god Praise the lord we're out um do you have a songwriting process or is it kind of different each time or i really don't you know i'm such a jason isbel fan and he he says all the time that uh you know if you're a songwriter inspirations for rookies show up and get to work you know mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know that you know as much as i love jason isbel i'm sure he's right but um i don't feel that way all the time i definitely think that there's a a time to where if it's like hey if it's time to write a song you, you, you there is work that goes into it or whatever but i'm somebody that thrives on inspiration i, I write my best stuff when i'm inspired yeah so like chris stapleton started out as a staff writer you don't think you could if you were, it was if it was a nine to five job where you have to be at a studio, go in and write a song. You do have co-writers in that situation, but 
Do you think you could do that? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I could. My honest answer is I don't know. Part of me thinks that I could. But it but, might not be the most but inspirational. Part, yeah, part of me feels like that I, I don't know that my work would be as good. But there again, I'm somebody that truly believes that that experiences everything. And the more you do something over and over, the better you get at it. So I don't know. Maybe that's what makes a, you know, makes a grand songwriter is uh, being locked in a room and forced yeah. to do it over and over again. Yeah. You could, you, you would definitely be better at the skill of pulling out a pad of paper and writing a song, writing a hit song right now. Like, I find that so like robotic though. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You know, like, okay, mm. I need you to write me a hit. <laughs> it's like that Sarah Bareilles song, I'm not going to write you a love song. Oh, yeah. That was a good song. That was a good song. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you've released other, maybe you have. Have you released all the titles that are on the next album yet? Or are you kind of keeping that? Up? I haven't. I'm not keeping it a secret. Oh, okay. I, I, don't, I don't think that I have, though. I, um, what song are you most, ex- most, I don't even know if this is, what, are, what is the song that you're most excited about fans hearing? Um, my next single. It's it's called Easier Alone. I got to hear it on the way up. Be, Did yeah. you? Yeah, it was fire. It's gonna be the next song that comes out. I don't want to say when because okay, we're gonna try to surprise drop it. Ooh, but it's pretty soon. Pulling a Beyonce, are mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really experimental. The, the last one, uh, we took the route of announcing that we were putting it out a month mm-hmm. ahead of time and spending a month, you know. Um, promoting the heck out of it and trying to do get as many pre-saves as possible um so just you know i'm figuring all this out as i go that's definitely a way to do it we've we, obviously seen some success with it but i'm wondering how, from a number standpoint how well it goes the other way of just dropping a song yeah. and then spending the energy after the fact to promote it mm. i just want to see how that goes so it's kind of an experimental thing yeah i want to know how you you know, like what you like better after you do. Yeah, it. Not, not to get into a, like the the numbers. Like, like I won't spend a lot of time on this, but so with all the promoting we did and the and the marketing campaigns that we did, um, it's hard to get somebody to pre-save because a lot of your pre-save links and things like that it forces that person to log into their account and whatever yeah. the thing is, and we're so. We're, oh. uh, we're, we're so used to having our phones to where, like, if I pick up Spotify, I don't have to open it every time, mm-hmm. or Apple Music. It's just logged in forever, almost, unless you switch phones or have to delete the app or something. And so, um, a lot of people will do that, but a lot of people get to that stage, and they're like, oh, I'll do this later, yep. you know, and they never do. So, what we found from a numbers standpoint was, I think, um, our numbers for how many clicks we got to the pre-save link were like 32,000 clicks or something like that. And That's then, still awesome. And then <laughs> I, I, we pre-saved over a thousand, but it was, yeah. Holy so cow. If that tells you. So my whole thing, my whole thinking behind it is all that energy got those 32 and it would be much easier to get someone to listen to a song versus mm-hmm. pre-save a song. Mm-hmm. So my thought process, well, what if we drop it and then spend all that, marketing and time getting them to the song versus getting them to the pre-save link yeah. so anyway it's just I'm, i want to see how it how it happens it, it may be worse i had i admittedly don't know how to pre-save oh, I don't when know. i go to the link because i tried and then i get to the screen <laughs> and i'm like 
it doesn't say pre-save. I need I need big <laughs> flashing letters that say pre-save. I need it to say pre-save now. Yeah. Um, so you have to show me. So we, when we were driving down here, um, I said, let's not talk too much. We don't want to talk too much because we want to have some conversation, but we're doing fine. But um, we, I mentioned because me and him have both released music. Yeah. And trying to get people to listen to a two-minute song is tough enough. But for asking people to listen to a, like an hour podcast, because oh, we were I talking know. about our numbers, and I, I was like... It is so hard. We have eight monthly listeners, Josh. <laughs> hey, that's... We love you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's that's something, man. But uh, I just thought, I was like, that. I've never really thought about it, but it's tough. It's it is tough so to tough. get people to sure. listen to your stuff. Yeah. It's tough. It is. Sure. But... Uh, there's well, people listening. That's what, I, that's what I always try to remind myself is that... There's 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 always more people listening, and a lot of times those numbers, like the eight monthly mm-hmm. listeners, I don't think that they're correct. I don't think that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I don't because I mean I look at it this way. I mean, look at some of the publicity you guys have got lately. I've seen some of that, some of the Nashville list and stuff like yeah. that. Like that's Thank that's you. that's something, you know. So like, there's people paying attention for sure, man. Till the day I die, I'm gonna say we were number fifteen on the top. We were fourteen. Oh. Take it up one more. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Top Nashville podcast. I, I love y'all's podcast. I mean that genuinely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I think you. Guys do a great job. Thank with you so much. It. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So for those who don't know the process, I don't know if you know. I don't. Know. I have no idea. <laughs> Artists distribute their music digitally through services such as CD Baby or TuneCore. I'm hashtag TuneCore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you do? Distro Kid. Oh, okay. um, Do you still plan to release your album physically? And if so, what do you find to be the benefit of doing so? Mm, I'm I'm someone who believes in albums still, like, and that's why um, a lot of my peers have, with the industry even, is kind of built in a way to where it's much easier to release a single now, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the avenue is just to release a single or, or an EP um, at, at mm. best. Um, but I believe in an out. Like I, when I was a kid, I used to love listening to the entire album because even if it's not a concept album where all the songs go together, you still I feel like get a sensibility of the energy. You can hear the energy; it's the same on every song a little bit mm-hmm. on some albums, not every album. Um, so, but also one of my favorite things when I was a kid was going and getting a CD. Um, and putting it in and pressing play, and then while I was listening to it, pulling out the pamphlet in the side mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. reading the stuff that was in the inside or seeing the pictures because the artwork a lot of times um, is a representation of the music that you're listening to, and you don't you don't get that on on streaming. Yeah. And also, there's no it's the only version left of a physical copy of the work, so it's the mm-hmm. only tangible thing that somebody can actually hold and take home with them and, and keep and collect mm-hmm. um, for yeah. you. And so I still do physical copies. I, I don't think there's definitely still a generation oh, yeah. of my fan base that they still listen to CDs and that's how they w- want the music. I would say that percentage is small, probably less than 10%. Um, it's an extra cost, but I think it's worth it. Maybe. Yeah, it, it is because I, I don't think... If you're planning on making physical copies to get your music out there, that's not the goal anymore. It's now a novelty. I feel like you put it on your merch stand or you try to sell it as a novelty. Like, go listen to my music on the streamers now. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll 
show you how to do it if you don't know how mm-hmm. to do it. But buy my buy the CD so I can sign it for you, and you mm-hmm. can go see the artwork on the other side of it. That's mm-hmm. what I tell people now, and and uh, yeah, it's a it's a novelty now. I think if it gets to a point where CDs are not even a thing, I would still want it just because the day it releases, you have it in your hand. You're like, yeah, yeah, mine. Yep. This is my baby. Yep. This is my baby. I like vinyl records. I feel like um, your voice would sound great on a vinyl record. I do too. You know, and I, I, I've never, and I, maybe it was because, I mean, daddy didn't collect uh, he wasn't into vinyls. vinyl or anything like that. And there was nobody around me that did. I love a vinyl for the, because it's a big piece yeah. of the art. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a big piece of the artwork. But as far as listening to vinyl, I haven't a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was just because I wasn't, yeah, I didn't have nobody around me that did, I don't guess. But mm-hmm. so I don't, as far as, uh, like my my buddy Chris Lee uh, that that's played drums for me for years uh, is a huge shout out. yeah shout out Chris Lee uh, <laughs> he's a huge vinyl collector and and just loves it and and he could sit down and talk to you all day about the the sonics of listening to a vinyl versus a you know a uh, CD or something like that mm-hmm. but uh, just because I haven't done it I wouldn't be able to even speak on on the difference of it. So when you like, you know how in coal miners daughter, she's like distributing her music and mm-hmm. all that. Does, I guess that doesn't happen anymore. You don't have to send your CD to radio like, shows yeah. anymore. No, no. I mean, radios, uh, radio is very corporate now. So all that is kind of mainstreamed. Everything comes from one oh, place. Okay. You, you couldn't even take your, um, album to a radio okay. station not have them played it would have to go the cor- through the correct channels now mm-hmm. i think um i have two stories about this so one my granddaddy uh ward was in vanderbilt uh when i was younger and we came down here to stay with him at vanderbilt hospital and my dad was like he's a fidgety anxious ridden person so he went walking down music row and down music row there's all these record labels mm-hmm. and stuff he was digging through the trash can and found all these tapes that were just thrown in there wow and he took them home and i just listened to all these demos of all these people and it's like so sad because these people are like mm-hmm. yeah this this record label took in my cd little do they know that they just got them thrown away out. and then my second story is i was a receptionist for a label at one point and this guy brought in a cd and i tried to give it to one of the managers he was like just throw it away and sad. i was like okay yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. That but is sad. Mm. Yeah. It's not... Wait. Like, think about all the money that went into that CD. All the heart. Yeah. All the heart. <laughs> it is sad. Showbiz. Um, yeah, any... Are there any other collaborations you want to mention that helped bring your vision alive? This can impro- uh, include producers, musicians, graphic designers, anybody like that. Yeah. Um, graphic des- design. My my brother does all my graphic design. and uh, Jacob Somerville. He's my, my half-brother. So just for anybody that's listening, that would think that, that was your brother, too. Yeah, we're half Siblings. Right, right, right. And Which then, <laughs> we don't we don't say that in my yeah. family on on either side. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But just for clearance, so that because if I say, oh, it's my yeah. brother, then they would. I'm, has it ever happened before? I've never even asked you before. Has anybody ever been like Mm-mm. Josh's brother Jacob or your mm-hmm. brother Jacob? No. No, I think I've always said my brother's brother. Yeah. So it kind of. I didn't know mm. if anybody else ever approached. No, that I don't way, think though. so. Yeah, I've have, I've never thought about it. So I <laughs> asked, but. Um, yeah, so my my brother Jacob uh, is a graphic, one of the best in Owensboro now, in my opinion. And he's grown so nice. much, and he's um, it's so 
crazy. I've watched him grow too, and he's uh, doing pretty much all the graphic design for the city now mm-hmm. and for wow. Romp Festival this year yeah. and for tons of local businesses. Now, I, I literally, I was driving around town the other day and a service van pulled up beside me and the whole graphic on the side. And I, I've worked with, he's done work for me for so long that I can see his touch on things now. Mm-hmm. So this van pulled up and I was like, that's Jacob did that design. I could tell. And it was like this logo for a mm-hmm. like a heating and air business or wow, something wow. But, uh did yeah. he do the album art for give it to me yeah mm-hmm. i love it yeah he did the album art for my my record for the record too and uh, he did the album art for Reynolds station my last record wow. too so um very once world's got so I many talented it. people there's it's it's so, so much it's, it's hard to even explain it to people um, you think it'll ever boom like Nashville? I always say that I moved from one music city to another music city because mm-hmm. it's so heavily. I don't know, maybe other, maybe other cities are like that too. But yeah, I don't know if it'll ever boom. It's not. I'll tell you this. I I thought for a long time that uh, when I first started traveling to other cities, that every city was like. I knew there was Nashville, and that was Music City. Then I thought that every other city was like my city. Mm-hmm. Had a music scene, had a but it doesn't. I'll tell you this. I play in Chicago a lot. Mm-hmm. You would think, like it's the third biggest city, and like, wow, there's not a huge music scene there. Now there, is, there's music there, yeah. but it's not like in town where there's this net. You know, when I think of a music scene, there's a network behind it, and there's mm-hmm. like a slew of people, and there's like a pool of gigs that everybody are helping. You know, I, and maybe there is. You know, I, this is just me speaking from passing through up there. I'm sure there's somebody from Chicago that's like, oh, there's a huge scene here, here, there, but. Um, from my experience, there's not, and especially um, towns the same size as Owensboro that I've traveled to and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's not like that. And what I found is when you go to those cities, people come out in groves, whether they know you mm-hmm. or not. It's because they're so happy that somebody's coming to town, you know, that's that's different. That's fun. And it took me a long time to figure out why that is, and that's it. It's because there's just not, there's not a singer-songwriter on every corner like there is in Owensboro. You know? Yeah. We have such a big bluegrass. We're the capital of bluegrass now, or something. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is that it? Yeah. Is that what the, what the water tower says? The uh, they were going to put a banjo-shaped Ferris wheel downtown. It got it got canceled, but I was like, I was like, how the hell would that work? <laughs> how? <laughs> Could see the lawsuits now. <laughs> Well, say this: they repainted our water tower, and um, John Deere Green. And it said, it said the, it said Owensboro, and it said the bluegrass capital of the world, and it had a banjo, but it was a poorly drawn banjo, oh, God. and it, it looked like, like a, a crack pipe, <laughs> and the underbelly of Owensboro is also known for some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, like, it was a big thing. They had a field day with it online. It's like a subliminal message. So much so that they, compl- they, they completely... They're like, mm, they, we'll get rid of yeah, the pipe. Because they didn't paint it yet, thank God. They Thank God they posted it on socials first to say, hey, this is what the new logo is. And the whole town the was like, th- God, no. Please, no. And they, they uh, yeah, I think Aaron Kaiser actually ended up painting so the design funny. that was on there. And it looks great now, but... <laughs> They dodged a bullet on that one for yeah, sure. They did. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. So, uh, graphic designer was there. Musician, oh, yeah, I'm producer. sorry. Uh, no, Zach, Zach Cassick produced uh, the record. Uh, he was the or uh, co-produced the record with me. Um, he was um, uh, the 
he, he mixed the last record and I finished the record at Wild Feather Studios, which is his studio. They're right here in Hendersonville, actually. Oh, nice. And, uh, Neighbors. Uh, it was, it's a pleasure working with Zach. Zach's, uh, got his tr- track records a mile long, but, uh, one of his biggest credits is he was, um, one of the engineers on that lonesome song, the Jamie Johnson record. So wow. he's got a plaque for that one. And um, but yeah, he's worked with Beck. He's worked with mm-hmm. um, he's got Beck a poster. signed letter of recommendation from Paul McCartney. Holy cow. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right, he's pretty legit. So he he, <laughs> he cut his teeth at Ocean Way in, in okay. um, uh, Los Angeles. And one of his first gigs as an intern uh, at Ocean Way was he was a an assistant for Dr. Dre. What? Yeah. So he was my mouth just fell open. <laughs> he was in studio for and the, oh my gosh, I won't tell none of his stories obviously, but uh that's for him to tell, not me. But uh yeah, I mean and what that means is I mean and he, he would openly say he was, you know, he was doing the run and all that stuff. Um but he was in it was in the early 2000s. It was in the heyday of Eminem and, wow. and all those, yeah, like all Shoot, those people. we need people. to get him on here. <laughs> hey. He, hey, he would come on. He would. Yeah, Hell yeah. I, I bet he would. Uh, so he owns Wild Feather Studios now. Uh, it's an awesome studio. It's here in Hendersonville. I think um, Oak Crow Medicine Show, it mm-hmm. used to be their studio slash band house. And then he purchased it about two years ago, and it's his spot now. Wow. Um, and uh, he also is the bass player for... Um, uh, Too Slim and the Tail Draggers, which is... Too Slim? Yeah, you know them? Like, Too Slim, like, um... Like, Riders in the Sky, Too Slim? Maybe, I don't know. Wait, That'd be that, crazy. Google! I should probably know that. <laughs> What's their name? Too Slim and the Tail Draggers. I know they were the number one blues... They had the number one blues record last oh, year. Oh, blues, nope. Yeah, yeah, this Wrong is... Wrong de- Too Slim. Yeah, this is definitely blues, so... <laughs> we're talking about Riders in the Sky, Too Slim. Uh... Like, yeah. Okay. The, they're huge in the blues in the Woody's blues world. Though. Round up. <laughs> oh, that's them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it was them. <laughs> she has a connection. It she could have. <laughs> it could have been. But I, yeah. Uh, cool though. Okay. But yeah. Uh, so, it, but it's a pleasure working with Zach. I would. I would tell anybody, man, if you want somebody that's going to be passionate about your your music, then then uh, he's the guy for it for sure. Um, let's see. Um, Chris Lee's played drums for me for years, played drums on most of the record. Sterling Miller played bass on most of the record. Both those guys are from Owensboro. Um, Jim Heap played dobro um, and steel guitar on, on two different too. songs. Jim is from Owensboro. He has been the steel guitar player for the Bellamy Brothers for the past 10 years. He lives in wow. Hendersonville now. Uh but, it's a popping uh, place. Holmes Roll in Hendersonville, AA. Jake Holder is a current Nashville guy. He played fiddle on the record. Good friend of mine. He's an Owensboro guy. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he's an Owensboro guy. Uh, let's see. I know I'm missing some. Chris Hatfield, he's a Nashville guy. He uh, sounds familiar. He played keys on the record. So I got to know Chris Hatfield. Um, he... Um, owns the uh, Music City Dueling Pianos outfit, so it's a tra- oh, it's a traveling okay. Dueling yeah. Pianos thing, and they they come to Owensboro a lot. They yeah, play at Brasher's. Yeah, yeah, that's where I got to know him. So cool. he's the not only one of the performers, but the owner operator of that hmm. that setup. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Chris played organ and and keys on the record, nice. and um, 
I had, man, I should know, I should be able to pronounce this name, but I had um, um, Daniel, oh my gosh. Give it up for Daniel. <laughs> Give it up for Daniel. <laughs> Jesus. Dan the man. He's, he's honestly, he, he's honestly uh, one of the bigger names as far as he mastered the record okay. at uh, ProSonic Studios, I think. But they do like most of the big records here in, in town. And cool. and uh, man, I'm ashamed that I don't have his name ready. But uh, I mean, you got a long list of people. It's- yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a long last name. Dan too. understands. Dan understands. Dan understands. <laughs> okay, so as an art as an artist in the age of social media, what aspects are you thankful for? And then what some what are some of the challenges you have faced? Mm, ask me that one more time. You can edit that. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I got you. As an artist in the age of social media, what aspects are you thankful for? It could be branding, growing an audience. And then on the other side of that, what are some of the challenges you faced? And you could, there's one um, story about your Facebook being hacked that I wanted you to kind of go into. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the plus sides to it is is kind of the simple answer is, is the networking in general. Man, you have a direct access, and people can have a direct access to you now. Some would call that the downside of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I feel that way about it someday, but right now I don't. I, I feel, um, I feel pretty connected to most of the people that listen to me, and and I've always been kind of an open book, and and I'm the type of person if somebody messages me on socials, I'll usually message them back as long as they're not being crazy, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I'll have a conversation, and I love to talk to people. I love to. That's. The reason I do this, I tell people all the time, uh, I can go play my songs in my bedroom, you know. If the minute I decide that I want to go play them to the public, it's for the public, and it's it's for them. And for somebody to take time out of their day to even listen to, mm-hmm. even put it on in the background while they're taking a shower, like, that's something. I, I believe that's something. So I, I believe it's important to be able to talk to your fans and people that you that are supporting you and so i'm thankful for social media i know that's not the way that that's presented a lot of times but i'm, I'm pretty thankful for it yeah the downside to it is you can spend 15 years building your social media accounts and you can put a record out that triples your social media accounts get verified on facebook get all the big boy statuses whatever none of them mean anything by the way uh <laughs> You think they do until they come, and they don't. Uh, and then in one fellow swoop, somebody from Beijing can hack your accounts and take them all away. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is what happened to me. So uh, after I put out Reynolds Station, after touring the country to <laughs> gather people on my socials, uh, I woke up on New Year's day. I had COVID that week, and I had to I had to cancel all my shows for the week. So, which is if you're a musician, that's your you know other people get bonuses during christmas your bonus check is your new year's eve shows because most of them pay double you know so so you book a bunch of those i got covid that week had to cancel all my shows was feeling awful and then on new year's morning i woke up and tried to log into my facebook which mind you is connected to your instagram which is connected Mm -hmm. to 
most of the things now that you log into, you mm-hmm. log in through your Facebook. I don't recommend doing that, by the way. <laughs> so it locked out my bands in town uh, accounts, which is where I'd promote a lot of my touring through and had a huge fan base on. And, uh, yeah, I lost all of it. And You uh, had, like, over 10,000 followers on that. Mm-hmm, yeah, 15,000, I think. Yeah, Just had to start over. And start over. So, and that's been a challenge on putting the record out because we've we you know we redid the socials and stuff and you know a lot of people found their way back to the new pages but a lot of people didn't you know mm-hmm. um, so it was kind of like starting from scratch yeah. putting this record out. We got two more questions for you. Mm-hmm. So looking back when you first started your career, what do you find to be the craziest tech advancement that wasn't around when you first started your career, and how has it been? I love this question. Um, so as somebody that um, does their own sound a lot of the times, I play in clubs where I, I, I do my own sound and there's not a sound guy provided. Um, oh, the digital... It's hard. Mm-hmm, well, it used to be. It used to be very hard because I used to travel with just a console, like a mixing console, if you're familiar with the knobs and the faders and everything. So yeah. the... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, yeah. No, so, don't. So, uh, so now... With the advancement of digital mixers, which is what I carry now, uh, specifically I carry the uh, Behringer X18, which is n- it's the size of a shoebox, mm-hmm. and there's no faders on it. It's only plug-ins, and I can have all my settings mixed to that mixer now, um, and through an application on my phone, which is where the mixer is controlled. And so now I can step in almost any club in the country that has their own speakers set up, unplug their mixer, mm-hmm. plug their stuff into my mixer, and all my sound is pre-mixed by an audio engineer from eight towns ago that I thought did a great job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. So what does 2024 look like for you on a personal level and then also business wise? Well, I'm hoping I I get married this year. Uh, I've been engaged for uh, a year Mm -hmm. this last December. It's been a year already? I know. Holy cow. Um, And we've spent the the biggest part of that year looking for uh, a house. We still don't (laughs) live together. And uh, actually, we live almost an hour apart. And uh, yeah. I did not know that. mm -hmm, It's very tough. The market. Sure. Yeah, the housing market has just been crazy. uh, So much so that... Um, both of us have a lot of irons in the fire right now. As mm-hmm. I'm putting out music, and and all those things come with uh, their own vein of financial uh, things. Yeah. So um, we spent the the majority of last year looking for a house, and then um, uh, we were unsuccessful. I mean, the market's <laughs> just so it's so bad that even the stuff that's was affordable for us it's it just it didn't make any sense to where the interest rates were at and stuff so anyway hopefully i find a house first because everybody keeps asking me when i'm getting married and i tell them well <laughs> hey our get... last guest had that same problem yeah really yeah yeah well I, that's what i said I, I said i would hate to get married and live an hour apart like <laughs> yeah. you know so like I, I feel like we need to have a house first so hopefully i on a personal level i'm uh, that's my biggest goal for next year is to at least have a wedding planned and mm-hmm. live with my significant other that'd be great because <laughs> yeah. uh, I travel enough playing music and then I got to come home and yeah. usually travel back and forth, you know, exactly. between our houses. So, um, and then um, from a professional standpoint, I, this is going to sound, I really don't know. And I don't, 
want to. I'm kind of taking it as it comes. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about this album coming out. I'm really proud of this album. I'll say that um, from a personal standpoint. Um, I just, which isn't the case always. I've, 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 you know, you go into the studio and you record and, and uh, sometimes it comes out and you're like, yeah, there it is, but it doesn't land. And, mm-hmm. and with this one, I went in with a different frame of mind. I went in thinking, uh, I just want to re- record these songs. We mm-hmm. good? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. We're good. Yeah. I just heard my daughter. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you can edit that. <laughs> I was making sure I wasn't stepping on any no, toes you're, or anything. No, you're good. Um, but, um, but I... Uh, I was just really proud of the way that it came out. I'm really excited to uh, to let everybody hear it. I'm excited to hear what people think about it and and see what happens with it. Again, I, I've uh, I've kind of went into the whole thing uh, being as prepared as possible, making sure that I'm doing all the things that you're supposed to do that are in my ability and my power to make the thing successful. But my biggest goal this time versus last time is I got very um, entwined and, and, and sticking with like wanting to do good so bad that, that I feel like my energy was off with it. So my whole goal from the get go on this, from recording to actually putting out now and everything is to make sure I'm doing everything in my complete power, uh, to be prepared, to have the album prepared, to be released and put out into the world. But then after that, stepping out of the way and just let it eat and letting it eat. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And so, uh, with that being said, I, I didn't expect the video to do as good as it did. Uh, we're doing great on streaming right now. I, I better numbers than I mm-hmm. had anticipated at all. So, wow. uh, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep putting it out there in a way that I think that's, that's, you know, that makes sure I'm doing my job. And then on the other side of it, energy wise, not anticipating anything. Right. Cause I feel like that's gonna, well, thank you for being on the pod. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And I want to shout out some ways that you can listen to Josh. I want to mention that our last name is spelt M E R R I T T with an E to R's to T's. Thank you very much. Okay. So it's Facebook and YouTube at Josh Merritt. Instagram at I am Josh Merritt. TikTok, I am Josh Merritt, joshmerritt.com. And be sure to listen to the single, Give It to Me, and pre save the album 206 on both Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank y'all for listening to Spilling the Tea. Whitney Merritt and Liz Ent are co hosts and co producers. The show is edited by Jeff Ent. Our theme song is sung by Whitney Merritt. You can follow us on Instagram at spillinthet underscore podcast, Facebook at spillinthet, and TikTok at spillinthetnash for all updates and additional podcast materials. We want to hear from you, so be sure to send your comments, leave reviews, give us your ratings, and share us with a friend. And most importantly, y'all come back now, you hear? hear.